0: One Hope Church. As many of you know, um, on Sunday we had the privilege of having Abel and Anna from Mexico uh, with us uh, to share with us the Lord's work um, in Mexico in the Sierra a mountain range, and also uh, to share the Word with us, and so it was quite a privilege that we had on Sunday. Um, Because we used that time for uh, that report, we are going to now catch up on our study of the book of Luke. Um, We are in chapter 13, and I'll make a couple short videos uh, to get us caught up. So here we are, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I'll read those, we'll pray. And talk about it just for a few minutes. It says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to look into your word. Uh, We pray that you would teach us from it. Uh, Help us to see as your son Jesus sees. And Lord, help us to um, follow you with full and open hearts. We just ask that you would teach us from your word. Jesus, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. So here we have the second account in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus being accused of doing something unlawful on the Sabbath day, which was the last day of the week. This is the day that we call Saturday. In the Law of Moses, it was stated that we should work for six days and rest and worship God on the seventh. At least that was the rules, the rules for the people of Israel. In Luke 6... Uh, Jesus is with his disciples on the Sabbath day, and they're walking through a field, and his disciples are picking off uh, the heads of the grain uh, to eat. And uh, they were uh, accused of doing work on the Sabbath, and they shouldn't do these things. But Jesus stated in Luke 6, 6, the Son of Man, that's a title Jesus used for himself, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. There, Jesus is claiming that it is his day, and he can do with his day, what he wants to, because in reality, all the days are his days. Uh, From the Gospel of John, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, In Colossians 1, we see that without him, uh, nothing that um, is made uh, would be made without him, that he is the source of creation. So uh, this is powerful uh, that we have Jesus' perspective on the Sabbath and on what could and couldn't be done on that. He is also giving indication that he is the one who fulfills the law and that by fulfilling the law, he's meeting all of its requirements and that um, the law of Moses is being fulfilled. There's going to be a new law or a new covenant uh, to come, a new covenant that is in Jesus Hebrews 4 tells us in verse 9, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that we are invited into the rest that God offers us in Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus did all the work that was necessary for us. It was all the work that was necessary to fulfill the law of Moses. It was also all the work necessary to pay for all of our sins. And so we cannot work for our own salvation, but we, through faith, can enter the rest of God through faith in Jesus, and we can rest in him. And that is our true Sabbath today. So now we also need to understand that at this time in history, legalism had corrupted the good things that God had given to the people. The religious leaders were more concerned with their rules than they were with hearts And minds. And Jesus was never afraid, as we see here, to call the religious leaders out on their hypocrisy. Um, He says, in fact, you hypocrites, and he shows them very clearly their hypocrisy. And in their hypocrisy, they would take better care of their livestock, their own donkeys, than they would for this woman who is made in the image of God, who God deeply loves. And that is a sad tale indeed, but we see Jesus in his redeeming of this woman and redeeming um, her physical health even. Um, He is showing us her value. He is showing um, all of humanity this disabled woman's value in the sight of God. And this is powerful and significant for how we view and approach people that we do not um, fall into the trap of valuing people based on what they can accomplish with their physical bodies, you know, what they can produce or where they can even um, think of and put on paper with their minds. But we value people because they are human beings. They are made in the image of God and therefore have intrinsic worth, not based on what one knows or what one does, but based, or does, but based on who one is as a human being. And so we need to make sure that we view every person. This is a great call for us um, to think about and to make sure we have the right perspective on those um, who have disabilities. Here we also see that um, in its application for us today that we're often pulled by two opposite forces. Uh, We're pulled by two opposite forces, um, one being legalism on one side and one being um, license on the other. And so uh, these these things um, can really draw us in. That legalism is similar as it was in the days of Jesus, that religious legalism that, you know, life is just a, a bunch of rules and, and you're very important to follow specifically the letter of the rules and the, the rules trump all. Uh, but then on the other side, we have license. Now there was license in the day of Jesus, there were people who just did what they wanted to do, and um, whatever felt good to them at the time, is—you is, know, that's what they did. But it doesn't have the same disguise, it didn't have the same disguise then that it does today, because today it can actually have the disguise of religion. And this really would have been unthought of in the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, religious leaders would have promoted legalism, but they would not so much have promoted license. This is a new thing where, those who claim to be religious are, in our day are actually promoting sin, um, taking you know, many things in the Bible that the Bible says are sins and just saying those aren't sins, freely enjoy you know, doing what you want to do. And so we have to avoid both traps of legalism and license. They're both very dangerous. And so the question is, how do we avoid being pulled into legalism or to license? Well, here are three helpful tools for you. The first is to read the Word of God and to pray every day. If you are reading the Word of God and you're praying and in communication with God, you're going to be shaped and formed by God. And you're going to have His perspective so that you can rightly discern our cultural context. And that will help you to avoid legalism. It'll help you to see it when it is there. And it'll help you to avoid license. Um, The second thing that you can do is to know yourself. Because each one of us has a tendency, each one of us is prone either a little bit more toward legalism or towards license, or a lot more toward legalism, or a lot more toward license. Which does your personality, your upbringing, and your heart naturally pull you towards? Does it pull you toward legalism? Are you a rule follower? Or are you a rebel? You know, which is it? Pay close attention and ask yourself... um, If how you're reacting in a situation is right, is God's perspective, or are you reacting with those common sins of legalism or of license, one or the other? Or are you seeing it the third way? Are you seeing it along the way of Jesus? The third thing is immediately upon seeing that you have committed an act of legalism or an act of license, to call it by name. Just say, hey, what I just did there... That was legalism, or that was license, and to confess it to God, and ask God to replace your perspective with His, by asking, you know, to change your own heart. Uh, Because ultimately, at the end of the day, these, these issues that we're talking about here, these are heart issues. When people have a problem with legalism, it's ultimately a problem of the heart. When people have a problem with license, it's ultimately a problem of the heart. And you can't separate those problems from the heart. They must be dealt with in one's heart. So may God help us as we move forward uh, to focus in and to really fight hard against these two great traps, both for individuals and for the church today. May God help us, in Jesus' name. Continuing our study in Luke chapter 13, let's read verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray. Father, may you teach us today what it is um, to be like the mustard seed and like the leaven. Uh, Lord, that we would learn this from you, um, that we would have a greater understanding. We thank you for your great love for us, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed and to leaven, also known as yeast. Now, let's talk about the mustard seed first. So, mustard seed was the smallest seed that was intentionally planted um, in a garden, and yet it would grow to be the largest of all herbs. Um, it was an important herb in ancient times, and obviously we still enjoy using it today. At least some of us do. I'm a big fan of mustard. Um, it also had medicinal purposes, and I actually know this firsthand. One of my very first jobs, I worked at a Wendy's, and one day I was, you know, putting a bunch of fries, um, into the grease, and the grease, you know, came out of the fryer and onto my hand and my wrist, and my skin started to bubble up, and it was painful, and um, this older lady that was working there as well, she saw it happen and she immediately grabbed a bunch of mustard um, just out of the you know, container and started you know just rubbing it all over my wrist and my hand. And the relief was immediate. It was really pretty amazing. And so um, just put that, file that away. If you ever have a grease burn, um, grab the mustard as quick as you can. But here's something that we need to understand that Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, that though it may look small or start small, yet um, it is actually going to be something that is quite large, and that's wonderful to know. We think about Jesus himself, how um, you know God came incarnate in human flesh and was born as a a baby in such a lowly condition, to be born where the animals would feed, and in that sense, Jesus is the ultimate mustard seed. Um, no He has grown, and no one um, is greater has become greater on the earth than Jesus himself. We also see Jesus using the idea of uh, leaven or yeast Now earlier in the Gospel of Luke in chapter twelve, just in one chapter before, Jesus says, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and I think many times when we think about leaven or yeast um, using the scripture, we can think about it in a in a negative sense, and um, some people may even think that because it's used in a negative sense, we shouldn't, um, you know, put have yeast and or leaven in, in communion bread or, or something uh, to, of that effect. But here, Jesus uses it in a positive sense. Really, what he's showing is that you know, if if you have the leaven of the Pharisees, if you have that hypocrisy, then that's going to affect others. It's going to affect the people around you in an, a negative way. But if you have the leaven of the kingdom of God in you, it's going to affect others in a positive way. So the way of Jesus followed closely, even if only by a few people, can have a great effect, it um, can have a great, make great change in a neighborhood or in a school, in a town, a city, a state, or a nation. You know, as I think about our world today, you know, the word Christian is a very broad term. Um, and it's one that I'm not particularly fond of at this point because I don't know that it, it, it really defines things very clearly for people. But just using that term, um, you know, people who are called Christians can have a reputation as being those who whine when they don't get their way. But what should our reputation be? We should be known as people who love so boldly in both action and word that the world cannot help but take notice. And one of the accusations that we see in the book of Acts about the apostles and the early church is that they were turning the world upside down. Well, of course we should be turning the world upside down. Not everybody is going to like the change, but certainly the change that um, is helping people to, be, you know, to come to know God and to believe in Jesus and to be more like Jesus is indeed um, a positive change and one that we should uh, desire to be a part of. Uh, we don't want to miss out on both our privilege and responsibility as followers of Jesus uh, to be part of the kingdom that is now and that is to come. Remember in Luke 12, 32, Jesus told um, the people, Do not fear little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We think about kingdoms, we think about the kingdoms of nations, but you know, even in our, our culture, we think about people trying to build their own kingdoms. But even if you had all the money and power imaginable on this earth, in comparison to the kingdom of God, your kingdom would be nothing. And so, may we know the joy of living in the kingdom that is now and that is to come. What may we be um, part of the of the fruit of that mustard seed? And we may may we be like the yeast that permeates into the world um, with love and with truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that your word is truth. Please help us to be um, fully enjoying the kingdom and its benefits and its power and to be living it out um, even now in your power, in your grace, and in your strength. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Welcome to part three in our study of Luke chapter 13. Uh, Let's begin by reading verses 22 through 30. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, these are hard words that your son Jesus gave to us. Help us to understand them and to take them seriously and to apply them correctly um, in our lives. We thank you that while there's a great warning here, there is also a message of hope. We pray that people would grab hold of that message of hope today. In your name, Jesus, we ask it amen Okay, so we have the scene where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's going through different towns and villages and he is teaching and someone comes and asks the question, Lord, uh, will those who are saved be few or are, are there only going to be a few people that are saved or are many people saved? And Jesus does not directly answer the question here um, in a very direct it's only going to be few or it will be many but he instead, gives both a warning and a promise of hope. Um, We have to remember the context that Jesus is going through these um, Israelite towns and villages on his way to Jerusalem, and that some are accepting him and some are rejecting him. And so this is a warning for those who reject him. Remember that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham, Abraham, in whom every people group of the earth will be blessed. But in order to enter into that blessing, you have to enter it through faith in Jesus himself. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Um, and so this is the great claim of Jesus is that he is the one who gives access into the kingdom. And so he uses this illustration of a man um, at his house, and people will begin knocking at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will say, I do not know where you come from. And they will start to say how they know him. And this is an important point because there are many even today who know Jesus intellectually. They know about him in their minds. They may be even willing to say, yes, he died on a cross, or, or yes, he rose from the dead. Uh, My wife um, was one of these when she was a college student. She would tell you that, yes, Jesus was a real person, that, yes, he was God, that, yes, he died on the cross, that, yes, he rose from the dead, yet she had not put her faith in him. She had not surrendered to him as king. And therefore, at that time, she did not have access to the kingdom of God. And there are many of people in the same position today who know about Jesus, but do not know Jesus. In fact, you'll notice here that the real question is not do the people know him, but does Jesus know them? Here, the person in the house says, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And again, in order to know Jesus, one must humble himself and say, Lord, forgive me. You know, I am a sinner. And must acknowledge Um, that uh, reality. So as we move on from that, let's read verses 31 through 35, and this concludes the chapter. He says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course." Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see here that not all Pharisees were bad and that even if these were bad Pharisees, they weren't bad all the time. Uh, we see a good Pharisee in John chapter 3. You can read about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night and he wanted to ask you know, honest questions. He was a truth seeker. Um, Jesus wasn't afraid to tell the truth about The uh, Roman ruler in that area, he says, "Go and tell that fox." It makes you wonder what Jesus would say about politicians today. Uh, But so that we don't get too sidetracked, let's move on to verses 33 and 34. He says, "Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, uh, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem." He's saying his time isn't there yet, but even notice he says earlier, "Today and tomorrow and the third day, I will finish my course." That you know Jesus is even there giving a little bit of a uh, of a hint about his future um, crucifixion and resurrection, but talking about Jerusalem, um, he says, you know there's a city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. you know it stones those who God had sent uh, to help the people there and Jesus gives this really interesting illustration about himself. He says like he's like a mother hen who wants to gather. Her chicks in and to protect them, but then he says, "You were not willing." And so here, this is very clear. Jesus is willing to save the people um, who are wanting to reject him, but they are—they are not willing. They are pushing him aside. They are saying no to them, to him. And so then he gives this point of condemnation again. Behold, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, one thing I really want you to gather here is the heart of Jesus. When he says, you know, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he is crying out for that city. He is crying out for the people of that city. It is emotional for Jesus. He has a a heart of compassion for these people as he does For all people, we've seen throughout the Gospels that, you know, Jesus looks out on the multitudes, you know, and he's moved with compassion, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he desires to be that shepherd, and he is um, a good shepherd. What I want for application for us to to understand today is that if we are to be like Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and the goal is to be, mature in Jesus, to be more and more like him, then we have to have his heart for people, for people collectively and for people individually. And so the question then there for us is, when is the last time you have weeped for a city or a nation, or the last time you have weeped for an individual? Not, you know, desiring for them something of this world, but desiring for them, the kingdom of God, that they would be able to enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And that's very specific. It's not a nationalistic cry in any means. It's not a desire for you know one's nation to be greater or, or maybe in this current environment, you feel like your country is is falling apart. This isn't why Jesus is crying here. They're crying because they are rejecting him. And have you weep for people who are rejecting him even in your own family or your friends um, or people in your community. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to have the same heart that he has for people. Philippians one twenty nine tells us, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And this is part of that suffering, is to desire the people who are currently not willing to be willing to weep for them, and to ask God to move in their hearts with power and with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. You thank you for these words of warning and for these words of great hope that people from north and south, from east and west, from all over the world would come. And yet, we, Lord, we know that there are those in our own families, our own friends who would reject your son who would say no to the salvation that is offered to them, who would say no to Jesus. And Jesus, we see how that broke your heart over the city of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. And Lord, may it break our hearts today over our own families and our own uh, friends and our own cities, our states and nations, Lord, that we would desire people in every place throughout this world to know you, to believe in you, that you would know them fully and deeply. And we ask it in your name, Jesus.